Hello, Internet friends, and welcome back to Love-Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz, and as always, we are here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your lives in that order. And Andy, have you developed any weird habits during the quarantine? Because I have a new, like online addiction and i don't think it's very healthy for me (laughs) (laughs) this wouldn't happen to be an online addiction i'm more or less uh talked you into getting right oh no this is not the tiktok thing but like yeah no that's a different rabbit hole (laughs) of which i can possibly yell at you for but like no the tiktok is generally fine i've developed a now terrible habit of looking at guitars and basses and (laughs) amplifiers and instruments and effects pedals and things that I have no need for and no reason to buy whatsoever, but just being like, hmm, I wonder, no, I wonder, no, like... You know, I've I've noticed this because you keep tagging me on Instagram anytime there's a giveaway. Oh, that's just a thing I do because I won a guitar once in my life, and when you've won something once you're convinced that you can always do it again like the worst thing that ever happened for me was that i won a guitar when i was 17 or 18 um because i worked at regal cinema and they were doing a giveaway and you could like put in as many entries as you wanted and i just kept writing my name on entries while i was doing two hour shifts of taking tickets when there was downtime so by the time that they took all the boxes for this giveaway like a ton of the end some apparently like a fifth of the entries were mine <laughs> because i'd just been writing my name in for this guitar giveaway and they here's the thing they didn't end up drawing my name But because it was for a music school, obviously they took down everyone's email addresses and they were like, this one dude has submitted so much. So they ended up reaching out to me and being like, listen, you didn't technically win, but we were so impressed with how many entries you had. We're just going to give you a guitar. And I still have that guitar. That's still my main acoustic guitar. But because I won one giveaway, sort of, I now enter every giveaway that happens. And therefore, Instagram and Facebook keep sending me giveaways. I ain't mad about it. You know, giveaways and contests of that nature are something that I've always been just terribly cynical about. I think I remember doing some write-in for like, you know, get my, my voice in a Disney cartoon in a cameo role type thing. And I remember watching like the announcement and it, it was some little girl and my dad was also in the room and went, eh, you know, she's probably an executive's daughter. And I was in such an impressionable moment in my life that it just poisoned me where it's like, yeah, all contests are rigged in some way, shape or form, especially the ones that you have no actual way of like checking the measurements. So, but you, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see something you have hope about. <laughs> Dan, I don't have actual hope. I just don't know. Like, fair, I, fair. Oh, fair enough, man. (laughs) Sorry, to answer my question. To answer your question, I don't think there are very many um, habits, but I did get real used to going to the bathroom at work with the door open because I was alone in the office for the better part of eight weeks. And it, it was more just so like if the phone rang or if somebody came in the front door, I would hear the bell or something than than any other reason. But, you know, this week my my coworkers reintroduced themselves to the habitat 
Um, and on Monday I like walked through the bathroom door and had to like stop for a second and be like, and now we close and lock it because other people are here and I don't want them to hear me peeing. <laughs> so that. Oh, oh, that's okay. I mean, that's, I don't know if that's better or worse than mine. <laughs> Because mine, I think, is, like, giving me some crappy, like, consumer anxiety. And yours legitimately is like, oh, you should probably fix this so that you're not, like, violating some kind of harassment laws. I mean, I will, like, just to be perfectly clear and clarify, I didn't start going to the bathroom with the door open and have to be like, oh, oh, oh shit, we, we closed doors. It was just like, I walked in, thought to myself... Okay, normally I would just go about it, but there are other people in the space now, so let me close the door like I'm a civilized being. Um, and there we go. So, but I don't know if it's better or worse that I just got used to going to the bathroom at work with the door open. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess when I asked the question, I was wondering, like, Andy, are there any unhealthy coping mechanisms that you have for the quar? Because that's very much what this is. <laughs> but that just sounds like you having a habit with... Like, there's people who are talking about how, like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to go back to wearing, like, khakis and slacks when I go back to an office later. Uh, or are saying, like, a number of women I know are talking about how they haven't worn a bra for a very long time. And now they're gonna, they're like thinking about giving up their underwire just because they didn't realize life could be so free. Power to them. So yeah, no. And by all means, if like you're getting anything good out of your quarantine habits, please, by all means, I'm just staring at things I'm never going to buy. <laughs> like if there's one thing I can maybe justify, maybe, Maybe it's buying a backup bass guitar because presumably like before the core started, I joined a band like it, 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 I, I was, I got the phone call. I was given the offer. I'm a bassist in a band now and I only own one bass. And there's something that terrifies me about like, what if something goes wrong on my bass and I need a backup bass? That's the only thing I can even moderately justify. And I'm not only looking at cheap basses, I'm looking at like sh shit that I wouldn't need if I was a professional musician. Like it just, it's just unjustifiable but I keep doing it. It's a weird compulsive habit now. <laughs> I would give you a small rationing of shit, but a core facet of my job, and it always has been a core facet of my job, is make sure you have no fewer than two backups for any given thing. And when I haven't done that, it's burned me. So I get it. And I think that is yeah. a perfectly justifiable uh, thing to be thinking about making an expense. Maybe it's something I'll treat myself to after the quar. Just like, just walk into a pawn shop and be like, yo, that one. Let me play that one. Okay, cool. I like it. I'm going to give you $100 for it. I like <laughs> because the, that's how pawn shops work. I like this moment we're building in our head. It makes me happy. Uh, you just need something to look forward to, you know? Like, boy, howdy. <laughs> oh. oh, sweet boy. Oh, man. 
Speaking of things that bring us joy, should we get into it? Yeah, let's go ahead. That's a delightful segue. Yeah, okay. Um, I think I'll do the rundown because, like, I don't think I have in the last couple of episodes. Fair enough. Uh, folks, this is Love-Hate Relationship. Uh, welcome to episode 48. Our format is simple. We have three segments. Uh, one of us comes up with a topic of something that we love. The other one brings us down with a topic of something we hate. And then after that, we take a relationship question from uh, frequently the internet, although occasionally you lovely folks, and we'll tell you how to send your questions into us at the end. But uh, yeah, so without further ado, I have the love. I'm getting us started. So Andy, as always, I want to... Start by asking you a question, and I've been known to sometimes get into this through a weird, like, half-measure, let me attack this from the side kind of format, but this time, very straightforward. Andy, what is your experience with either the comic strip or the cartoon for the Boondocks? Sure. And I'll, I'll try to quickly answer both of those, because it is different, um... You know, I knew the Boondocks as a comic strip before a show, which makes sense because it was a comic strip before a show. Um, But I used to religiously read the comic section. That was my that was a thing that I used to like. It was a staple of my identity as a middle schooler of I like the funny pages. And, you know, I would I would try to read all of the strips, save a couple and the boondocks was one of those strips that like I I would glance over and and tried to read a couple of times and then just sort of walked away from it going this isn't for me and it doesn't actually have anything to do with the fact that the majority of the characters in the boondocks are black because Doonesbury is another comic strip that I would walk away being like this isn't for me it was more than it was so smart and intelligent and had like a high satire point of view and me being like a littler kid who would read Garfield and zits and Calvin and Hobbes, like Calvin and Hobbes was the most highbrow like satire I could get into. So it it was a a strip that I, I was basically just like, this is too smart and I want something stupider in my Sunday funny strip. (laughs) (laughs) okay you know what that's that's solid um just for good measure what's your experience with the cartoon have you ever watched any of it i've watched a couple of episodes of the cartoon now that obviously came out later and actually watching that as a a late stage teenager and and adult and 20 year old person i i gave that more of a chance now again it, it it's never been something that I've like totally loved, but I really appreciate the show. And it came to me at a point where I was a lot more interested in something satirical and less like Squidbillies stupid. Um, I've seen a handful of episodes of the boondocks and the ones that come to mind are the one where Martin Luther King returns from the dead. Yeah. The, the, the one where Huey, writes a christmas play and it's like the adventures of black jesus the adventures of black jesus who's a samurai um <laughs> and the one where riley uh has art therapy and the artist turns out to be a total psychopath mm. so 
those are those are my two entry points into the subject okay no i love that and you know what i actually really appreciate that you came to it from the comic strip first because i had the opposite experience i i didn't really read the funny pages that terribly much and when i did like the boondocks wasn't really on it i I don't think it was in the orlando sentinel maybe i'm wrong Mm. um because that's the newspaper my parents had sure but uh you know i read my garfields i read my zits i read my doonsbury's my dilbert's all that good stuff but um this was not one that was available to me uh and i didn't go back and read the comic strips until i had already watched the tv show which i loved uh and we'll get into all of that but i appreciate that answer so uh without more i'm gonna go ahead and get into it my topic is the boondocks both the comic strip and the cartoon show A little bit of background on it. Uh, Originating as a comic strip on the music website hitlist.com back in 1996, and a year later picked up by The Source and eventually syndicated nationally, although it didn't appear in my local newspaper. I don't know what newspaper you were reading in Colorado, Andrew. Um, Or is this when you were in California? I don't know. Does it matter? You tell me. It it, it does not. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And later turned into a successful cartoon on Adult Swim, where it had three consecutive seasons, uh, went off the air for a while, and came back with a fourth season in 2014, which I'm not going to talk much about that fourth season. Um, It is the brainchild, uh, overall, of writer and artist Aaron Magruder. In all of its formats, The Boondocks has been a satire of African-American culture and American politics, largely framed from the perspective of Huey Freeman, a 10-year-old black radical leftist, as his family moves from Southside Chicago to the fictional Maryland suburb of Woodcrest. 10-year-old black radical leftist, you can understand why I would latch onto this. (laughs) Oh, God, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, additional characters, uh, honestly, just for the sake of going into the conversation, are Huey's little brother, Riley, who is obsessed with gangster rap culture, his grandfather, Robert, who is a World War II vet and former civil rights activist who wants to live out his retirement in a quiet suburb and is offended, just in general, by both of his grandsons at all times. The comic features the character of Michael Caesar, who is Huey's best friend, who agrees with most of his views, but is like a lot less cynical and angry and is much more humorous in his approach to everything. And the cartoon features the character of Uncle Ruckus, voiced by the wonderful Gary Anthony Williams, uh, who is the town Uncle Tom, who believes himself to be white and is constantly denigrating (laughs) black folks in general. Um... Andy, if you've seen the cartoon, I assume you're familiar with Uncle yeah, Ruckus. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't help but laugh because Uncle Ruckus is such an insanely amazing, funny character. You know, it's it's Dave Chappelle's blind Klansman, only he's not blind. He's just insane, and that makes it better. People say the key to fixing the problems of Negroes is education. But I say education is not the answer. Why bother? And what do niggas do in college anyway? It's, it's, it's hard to explain Uncle Ruckus as a character. I really do hope, uh, like, I'm going to ask for you to throw in some drops for Uncle Ruckus, 
just because as written, he might be the best character on the entire cartoon, but um, not to just derail and go entirely into that. But those are some of the main characters. There's also Thomas Dubois, who's the family's neighbor, who is a black district attorney who like I I call Uncle Ruckus and Uncle Tom. Tom Dubois is literally like named for the concept of being an Uncle Tom by Magruder. And he's basically just like a high culture liberal black man who like married a white lady and has a little mulatto girl. And 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 real quick, because I think this serves your point, being mostly unfamiliar with the show and seeing like gifs and screen caps and stuff for a very long time. I thought that character was supposed to be an animated Barack Obama. <laughs> so a subplot of the sh- of the TV show is actually like like a, a running joke is the fact that Tom's uh wife is actually obsessed with Barack Obama and clearly like sexually fantasizes about Barack Obama all of the time and Tom like every time he's faced with it is clearly jealous but also <laughs> doesn't want to be like shitty about it because he's because it's the first black president and it's a democrat and he's like uh i I don't wanna i don't hate barack obama i i promise i don't hate barack obama but he's clearly uncomfortable with how into barack obama his wife is i love it so i was supposed to feel that way (laughs) yeah i think that i mean i I think that so perfectly illustrates the kind of humor of the show because it's a funny ass show absolutely 100 percent um you referenced very specifically the episode with martin luther king uh and that is like one of i I, it's one of my favorite episodes of the tv show it's called return of the king for an idea of the kind of humor this show has the episode is actually kind of non-canonical it's huey imagining what would have happened if when Martin Luther King was shot, instead of dying, he would have uh, just gone into a coma and then woken up in the late 90s. And it's obviously Magruder trying to do some like particular satire about it. And I like there's poignant points to that episode, such as um, an imagined interview where... Martin Luther King gets in a ton of trouble because after 9-11, he tells an interviewer, like, when people ask him what the response should be, he says, well, as a Christian, I believe we should turn the other cheek. Which is exactly what Martin Luther King would say, but in the post-immediately post-9-11 world, he is de- his career is destroyed because he said that. So that's a poignant moment. Right. But there's also a moment where Martin Luther King is at McDonald's and he just goes, oh, my, a boneless rib sandwich. (laughs) What will they think of next? (laughs) Right. Followed by the, you know, the climax of that episode where he I, I forget where he walks in, but it's it's almost this moment of like Jesus destroying the temple only it's Martin Luther King railing against modern African-American hip hop culture. Yeah. he goes to the NAACP awards, if I remember correctly. Mm, and right. it's just, it's just a turnt ass party. 
And and that episode actually, it's funny. That episode got a ton of flack from uh, Al Sharpton in particular because in it, Martin Luther King says the N word right at them. And and uh, you can drop the exact quote, Andy, in here. Uh, I know it's available on YouTube. Will you ignorant niggas please shut the hell up? <laughs> but he he has a whole speech about how he's like, I know y'all don't want me to say those word that word. It's the ugliest word in the human language, but it's the only word that's applicable to you. And he goes into this giant speech that actually like it has several cuts. So you you know the way that they show that it's actually a long speech. Right. There's one part in it that always stuck with me where he just goes, and now I want to talk about Soul Plane. <laughs> Which, like, yeah, that's that's the kind of humor we're talking about. Martin Luther King telling people that Soul Plane is a horrible example of black culture. Which, like, I've seen Soul Plane. Yes, it is. It is a terrible example of black culture. But... Yeah, that episode is a perfect indication of that kind of thing. And, and okay, so you said that's one you've seen as one of the few that you have seen. Like, what is your overall reaction to that kind of humor, Andy, or that kind of satire? Like, what did you take away from it? I, I appreciated it because it, it manages to be so damning against a, a certain thing that Magruder obviously views as an issue and a problem but the actual like argument is pretty eloquent about talking about how like it's the whole argument how a certain subsection of rap culture is all about guns whores and shooting whores with guns and the like fetishization of that concept does very little to gain any sort of like respect and understanding with somebody who is not in that culture. It, it, it is all very smart and, and the show and the comic strip always seemed incredibly smart to me. Um, but I just love that you can juxtapose that with, Martin Luther King discovering the McRib or black samurai <laughs> Jesus in the Christmas play. Yeah. Like, and, and that, that is the kind of shit that like, it always has a point. It like, whether it's a, whether it's an arc of the comic strip or it is an episode, there is always this like really fine, deeper point. Um, I'm remembering very particularly the first episode of the, or not the first episode, in the first season of the TV show, um, they do an R. Kelly episode. Mm-hmm. And that, and and it's funny, because I've, I've read interviews with Magruder where he said, like, we weren't sure about doing the R. Kelly episode, because at the time this was happening, um, like, the news had broke out about his video and all of this stuff, and we thought, okay, it takes nine months from writing for the episode to be drawn. Like we write the episode, then we send it off and it gets animated because it got animated in Korea because it's drawn like an anime. Um, And he's like, we didn't think it was going to be relevant anymore, but we went ahead and did it. And he said at the time, and it was still fucking relevant because the trial was still going on and people were still defending him. 
And the whole episode is like, at the end of the episode, there's a great moment from Huey because he's trying to get people to take the allegations against R. Kelly seriously. And Tom is trying to prosecute him for, you know, having ha- having committing sexual acts with an underage girl and nobody in the audience, like everyone just wants R. Like someone pulls out a boombox and R. Kelly starts singing. Nobody's paying attention. Uh, his lawyer, who's played by Adam West, which is wonderful, um, is just like, it's all clearly racism. And Huey just straight up goes to the front of the uh, of the courtroom and is just like, what the hell is wrong with you people? Yes, the police target and frame and do horrible shit to innocent black men. R. Kelly is not fucking one of them. You want, you love R. Kelly? Get some counseling for R. Kelly. Introduce him to some older women. Like, and it's just, it's, it's a, it super well, it really highlights like something I deeply love about both the comic and the cartoon, which is Magruder is willing to take on everybody. Like he's really hard on the Bush administration throughout everything. Like you can tell he severely loathes the Bush administration. He has a whole character in the cartoon that is basically just a satire on young George W. Bush being a delinquent son of a rich guy and getting away with everything. Um, And he, but he is as hard on ethically inconsistent black folks as he is on them. And he never strays into the respectability politics of like a Bill Cosby. Sure. Because Bill Cosby was always just like, the problem is that they listen to this music with cursing and they can't pull up their pants and... And that's never been Magruder's approach because you could tell Magruder, Magruder loves hip hop. He hates the glorification of silly bullshit in hip hop, but he loves hip hop. He loves black culture, but he hates BET, which he sees as dumbing everything down to the lowest common denominator. He hates Tyler Perry. I hate Tyler Perry. I have hated Tyler Perry for a very long time. I have never forgiven Tyler Perry for ruining uh, the play for colored girls who have considered suicide uh, when the rainbow is not enough by making it into a terrible movie. Like, it is, it, it's it's this zeroed-in satire hitting all these really nuanced, difficult-to-articulate points about larger culture. And I really enjoy it. And and I love that you enjoy it. Like I love that more highbrow satire because you said something that stuck with me: the idea that Magruder is willing to take on anybody. But there's a very clear difference to the styles between the Boondocks and South Park because yes. Matt and Trey also are willing to take on everybody and pull no punches equally, but it, it may, and maybe it's just got to the point where for South park, it just became so much more about the, okay, what, what issue can we tackle next? It doesn't matter what the issue is where for Magruder, it's like, no, no, no. I, I know very clearly what issues I want to talk about. And it's just that I am willing to, you know, attack both sides of the coin was yeah. it wasn't At- a, a plot point for their grandpa that he was almost 
the Rosa Parks. <laughs> that's another yes. one I vaguely remember. So that's in that same Return of the King episode. Um, but it was... Uh, there's one point where Martin Luther King is having dinner with the family, and he's just like, I spoke to Sister Rosa before she passed. Uh, and just, just alluding to there being some drama. And they actually do it in flashback. It's clear that, like, their grandfather really hates Rosa Parks. Right. And it's like, why? And, it's, and, and they present it as, he was on the bus with her when they did that. And for whatever reason, nobody paid attention to him. They only arrested her. They only, like, made a big deal of her, even though he was sitting right next to her. And, like... For whatever reason, nobody paid attention to him. And he, like, still holds a grudge against Rosa Parks because of that. You prank called Rosa Parks? She stole my thunder. Robert, you got to let it go. Yeah, so it's, it's that kind of humor. And, and, and I want you to get into this other bit in your notes about something from the comic strip. Yeah, yeah. Um... I will I will just say one one more thing before I get to that point. Okay. For an example of how like I and I didn't put this in the notes. For for an example of how consistent Magruder is about this, he attended the NAACP uh ceremonies in 2002 and called Condoleezza Rice a mass murderer to her face. <laughs> That's who Aaron Magruder is as a person. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so I don't want this to just be about the cartoon because I do also really love the comic strip. Sitting next to me right now, I actually pulled them off my bookshelf, are two paper volumes of the entire comic strip. I think they're also all available online on Go Comics. Uh, I'm actually going to link to one in particular. But um, like a great example, my favorite single panel, it's it's just a one panel strip. My favorite single like strip of the entire comic is just a visual it's huey is walking by a billboard and on the billboard is a like vision of a stereotypical thug rapper holding a gun and a big mac and he's and and it's censored he says the n-word in it but it's censored it's n and four asterisks but it's just mcdonald's what And and it's just huey walking by sighing and that's and i sorry go ahead no, and, and go ahead, please. I was gonna say, and and that manages to perfectly balance the poignancy with the like absurdity of the situation, and and I love that. And I actually, I followed your link, and I, uh, you know, I, I thumbed through a couple of the issues beforehand, and found myself just really laughing a lot because, like, the issue before. It's it's Michael and Huey talking and Michael's like, so do you think McDonald's is going to make rap uncool or is rap going to make McDonald's cool? And Huey's going, I'm switching to polka either way, just to be safe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's just God, I love that so much. And and it it was out of a section of strips he did in a row where um, right around the mid-2000s, I don't know how many people remember this, but McDonald's pivoted and being like, okay, people seem to like this hip-hop thing. So what if we do, like, hip-hop advertising for McDonald's? 
and it, this is exact and Magruder did like three months worth of comic strips where he was just like fuck this sure fuck this entirely fuck the entire fuck this corporatization of hip-hop fuck this giant multinational that is killing people like co-opting this culture and this art form and using the dumbest common denominator of it like i'm putting the link in the description to that one strip that i'm referencing and I, I highly recommend everyone click click around it. You don't need to buy these in paper. They're available online. I just... He will go on these tangents for weeks of the comic strip. And this is one of the best ones, I think. But it's so salient and captured... Yes, it captures this one particular moment in time really well. But it's not like the corporatization of hip-hop has stopped you know i'm watching shows on you can watch the boondocks on hulu i get a commercial on hulu where uh do where like it's for progressive and the joke at the end is that one of the progressive salespeople, like insurance salespeople, starts rapping terribly and that's the whole joke of the commercial when it's at that point you know that hip-hop is no longer an edgy art form. You know that it's not... It's clearly not a terribly respected art form, particularly. And, you know, that... It's 15 years after this strip came out. Yeah. And that's where we are. That's where hip-hop is. It's almost 15 years to the day. Like, that strip is dated July 23rd. This episode comes out, I think... Late June or early July, like, we are really close to the 15-year anniversary of this one particular strip I'm going to link to, and this shit has just gotten worse. So Magruder had a point. I think so, and and that's a vein I really uh, appreciate is the idea that, like, it seems more than anything, the guy has no tolerance for stupidity on either end of the spectrum. It, it's it's not so much about rap is bad. You, you, you summed it up much, much better, but it's the, like the lowest common denominator, um, stereotypical problematic rap culture is bad. And so I'm going to make my statements and points about that. And I really appreciate yeah. that. I, I think it's great. I, like I said, the boondocks has never been something that I've related to or invested myself terribly in, but I can uh, totally respect you loving that you, you loving this. And, you know, I, I'm, I've been sitting here giggling to myself the entire, you know, the entire time, just thinking about funny moments that we're talking about from the show and from the strip. Yeah. And and I don't want to keep on because we're we're hitting the thirty five minute mark. But I'm I will say the entire show is available on Hulu. You can watch the fourth season if you want. It's like eight or nine years later, and Magruder was not involved with it. It's okay. It's not nearly as good as the first three, but like it is a show that I dearly, dearly love. I have I have physical copies of the comic strip. It is the only book of comic strips that i have it's in two volumes i bought them at a used bookstore for five dollars each like i 
love this property so much. It's supposed to be rebooted in the near future. I think uh, the death of John Witherspoon, who uh, played Granddad in the cartoon, I think that's kind of putting a few things... That might be putting some things on the back burner, but it is supposed to be rebooted, is my understanding, Mm, uh, on HBO Max. But I love this property. I have loved Magruder forever. I've had people try and ask me, like, like, we've all done those, like, Facebook questionnaires or, like, what are five TV shows that are you? Or, like, how do you sum up, like, your taste in one TV show, one album, one movie, something like that? And I'm not going to say The Boondocks is my favorite TV show that I've ever watched. I I don't necessarily know that. I I can maybe think of a few that I might put ahead of it. But if there's a TV show that is indicative of who I am as a person, whether that's <laughs> sure. my humor, my politics, my my just just a lot of the things that I think about, like if I wanted someone to get to to know me better, I would point them to the first 3 seasons of The Boondocks. I would probably give them the link to this uh to the Go Comics where website where the strip now lives or tell them or show them these books and tell them read read some random parts of this strip um or click through like a few in a row watch a season or two or three or all three of this show you will know me better as a person <laughs> for doing so and i love it so that's mine for this one fantastic no thank you man i i love like i've been watching bob's burgers basically since we last talked about it i'm in the middle of season five and i will periodically text you being like oh my god i'm at this point this was so amazing so like (laughs) your your recommendations go a long way and your tastes are impeccable so maybe a boondocks watch will be in the cards when i get finished with that who knows maybe i don't know (laughs) might be worth a shot if if you just want to see like selected episodes i can send you a list of like my five or ten favorites okay i think that's gonna have to happen (laughs) yeah return of the king is on there the last episode of the third season the original run of the show is called the red ball it is my favorite episode of the boondocks it might be my favorite like 22 minutes of television ever um but i i can send you that and i can just send you a list of various episodes that i really really love and you can skip through and watch those if you'd like hell yeah man but right. I'll, I'll need that as i as i struggle with my rage for uh our next topic which is my hate nice segue yeah shall we <laughs> absolutely so you know we're, we're we're recording this on may 15th um the quarantine is still kind of sort of in effect. Um, I don't know if what North Carolina has done. Florida has started reopening shit. Um, but, the, but the point is, you know, we, we've been talking a lot about COVID related topics and this is going to be yet another one of those, but I think it's understandable given that's just kind of all of our lives right now. Sure. So to be- I open this thing by talking about the, the fact that I'm shopping for bass guitars and assorted other equipment while in the quar. Exactly. So I want to talk about my hatred of 
anti-COVID consumerism. And I'm, I'm kind of coining that term myself and I'll be happy to explain more in this hate of, of, of what I mean, because I, I think it is kind of a fine line, but I mean, you know, I, I, I just asked, I, I want to know, Alex has North Carolina started reopening stuff. Uh, a little bit. Okay. We, uh, how do I put this? So we, our restaurants are all still closed, uh, and doing like takeout only if they're doing anything at all. So that part has still just kind of sat where it is. Our stores, like our retail stores are starting to open at like partial capacity. Okay. Okay. I think our grocery stores are jumping to like... 25 or 30%. Uh, some of our retail stores are starting to open up. Uh, I'm I'm driving down our strip of road and I'm seeing like the pawn shops are opening. The clothing stores are putting signs out that say like, we're open now, reduced hours or something like that. Like, So I guess you can say we're gradually reopening. Sort of. And it's very much the same here in Florida. But, you know, after eight weeks of a, a legitimate state shutdown, Florida is reopening its businesses in public areas. And in my job, I work with a lot of small business owners. And okay. I th- this decision to reopen, for me at least, was met with a chorus of, oh, thank God, the economy. Oh, thank God, my business can be saved. Oh, thank God, uh, you know, the the check I got from the government to pay my employees is is starting to run out. And this is going to be harder to quantify. And, and I really want to try to set the right tone here. But my real problem is with what I perceive from certain individuals to be valuing the economic prosperity of our nation over people's health and safety because i'll i'll get right out and say it i don't feel like we did enough i don't feel like this quarantine was strict enough or went for long enough and i don't remember which of the two of us it was but you know somebody was talking about like corona covid related panic and i don't want to um undermine that that point but like I'm sitting here being like, no, we we deserve to be taking this thing more seriously, and it's not going to go away. It's not going to go away, and it it isn't worth it for Sears to reopen while we're still in the midst of this infectious disease pandemic. I thought all the Sears closed down. I thought they went bankrupt <laughs> well, pre-COVID. Maybe, maybe, maybe Sears is a bad example. I've been seeing a lot of commercials <laughs> for something I've never heard of called Steinmart. And the commercial is basically like, Steinmart's your one-shop shop and we're back and open for blah, 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 blah. The, the point is, I, I, I've been seeing this on multiple levels this this is small business owners that i am on a zoom call with every week being like oh thank god my furniture my furniture supply store oh thank god my acupuncture center can like reopen but this is also um ceos and politicians saying things like your grandparents are willing to die to save the economy 
which is a direct quote from Lutex from Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Um, yeah, right. To to these small business owners saying things like it doesn't matter if I survive if my company fails. I mm-hmm. I expect and in fact anticipate this sort of behavior from politicians. I find sure. it a lot more troubling when it is the guy who owns the temp agency down the street. And I find it you know very troubling and and very like defeatist in a way that doesn't sit right with me. Because like Can you unpack defeatist there a little bit? Yeah, I mean just this idea like like the direct quote from from this guy was basically like and and this was in relation to a series of videos uh the company I work at put out about the PPP like protection loan small business plan that the you know the Senate and Congress rolled out it was it was this thing for small business owners where if you do not lay off your employees we will pay, we will give you salary in advance for like the next two months, but just do not, do not lay off your employees. We will take a look at your financial records and give you the amount of money you would need to keep your payroll open. And this guy was struggling to um, get the paperwork done in 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 time and and beyond that this funding went like really quick like within a week it was pretty much gone when that wasn't supposed to be the case and this guy was lamenting his situation basically saying like listen it's it's great if i survive the covid quarantine but it's not going to really mean much of anything if my business goes under and so directly saying it's all well and good if I walk out alive, but if my company dies, it's just as bad, if not worse. And I find that defeatist just because like, okay, I understand that this is your business and this is your lifeblood and this is the way that you make your money. But to sit here and say, my company deserves to live more than myself or my employees when it is a company, it is a non-living thing that that boggles my mind just because like, yeah, it's going to sting your pride, but you know what happens if your company goes under and you survive, you are able to go get a job doing something else and like, or at least you have the hope and and the potential to go out and find some other way to make money. You know what happens if your company survives, but say you catch Corona and die? Well, Mr. Small Business Owner, uh, your assets are probably going to be like divulged amongst your family and business partners, and then your company will be shut down anyway. So that's what I that's what I say when I mean defeatist. Like it, it it just it sticks in my craw in such a weird way where people are like, Oh, thank God, I, I can't stand it being in my house for eight weeks. I need to get back to my furniture supply store and I need to sell people some tables. Like yeah. if if this goes on very much longer, I'm not going to have 
my business. I, I would understand if these people were characterizing it as I'm not going to have my job and I don't know how I'm going to make money because, okay, there is an argument to be made that, you know, we're facing a, a economic crash like 08, but that's not what I'm seeing people say. I'm pe- I'm seeing people specifically like tongue in cheek being like, Oh my God, I'm so happy to get back to work. And being like, oh my God, I'm so happy that I don't have to close the doors on my personal barbershop. And speaking of barbershops, like I'm I'm also <laughs> I'm also lumping in the legions of chuckle fucks protesting in Michigan and Wisconsin to like get haircuts and standing in front of town hall with AR-15s, subsequently causing COVID outbreaks. Um, but I do understand, you know, it is a bit of a double-sided sword. Of course, people need money to live and, and survive because I can't have my Star Trek utopia. We, we broke that down, mm-hmm. but I can't help but feel like the economy, both, um, by big time politicians and by local small business owners has sort of become this new fatted calf, this new American God that all good consumer right-wing voters worship and are willing to offer literal blood sacrifices in the form of their friends and family dying to this virus too. (sighs) I'd, I'd argue it's not new. Yeah, that's, that's fair. <laughs> Exp- yeah. Elaborate. Um, there's something that I heard in the early days of like everything shutting down. That I feel like I've heard it said before, but I could I can never put it anywhere to it. And I'm sorry if this is like attributable to an actual academic or an actual person on Twitter. I I don't know. Um, full apologies, but. I read someone say it is easier for Americans to envision the end of the world than it is for them to envision the end of capitalism. And that's so that is such a weird oxymoronical statement to me because I feel like they must be one in the same. See, that's the thing, though. Like, okay. For... For Americans who have put all of their stock into the notion that American exceptionalism is the result of capitalism. Okay. I've heard this from liberals. I hear this from tons of liberals. Like, liberals who say, yeah, no, capitalism is still the way to go. Fuck, Elizabeth Warren was still a capitalist. Proudly. And said so. Um, And to be clear, you know, proper capitalism, Adam Smith capitalism, John Keynes capitalism, says things like, okay, yeah, free markets, but also you should have a social safety net. Like, a lot of the... A lot of the bullshit that we're dealing with now really only came about in the last 50 or so years. That's that's the post-Reagan crap. That's the post-Coke crap. That's, that's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do a 101 on the evolution of American capitalism. What I am going to say is for people who 
understand economies working a certain way, a very particular way, and we don't teach civics in the U.S. anymore, and we didn't teach it very well before, so a lot of people struggle to really comprehend other economic systems, the notion of the collapse of capitalism is too many people. You, you know what? You actually just said it. It is one and the same with the end of the world, or at the very least, the end of America. The The way through on this, like, the bold strokes, the way to make something like this work, honestly, is to give up a lot of the things that make, that are central to the American individ, individualistic identity. You do things like you mandate closures. You seize empty housing and just redistribute it to the homeless population. You create universal free medical coverage. You give people basic income, stimulus checks, or preferably a proper UBI. These are things that in a pandemic save lives and get you through the pandemic. The problem is, if that's the case, if that's the way that you're living your life during the pandemic, you get a whole bunch of poor people going, well, why can't we do this all the time? Right. Why do we have an economy? You know, I'm not even going to say that it's like that, because the fact of the matter is, if you gave people UBI, most people would still work because they want to work. The quarantine has shown that. People who are at home right now because they've lost their jobs or they've been furloughed a lot of them even if they still have income still want to go out and work that's just true yeah this 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 whole thing has really shown us that it is by and large complete fantasy the notion that if people were provided with a a living wage and had their basic needs met that they would just sit around all day and and watch tv and and goof off like people are sick and tired and and bored out of their minds of doing that you're you're absolutely right and it's funny because i look at specifically a couple of the european countries i look at italy which to the best of my knowledge is still on like an intense government mandated lockdown and i mm. look at spain which is putting in policy to enact a universal basic income to help support its citizens during these insane times. And I look at that and I consider that. And then I look at Cocoa Beach, which was reopened on Monday. And by Wednesday, so many people had gone to the beach that there was 1300 pounds of garbage left like on the sand which I'm calling it right now in about two weeks, we're going to have like this insane plumage of Corona infected cases in the central Florida area. And I, I know which one of these two countries or I guess three countries, technically I know which of these two sides I'm looking at and thinking is making sense and is like actively fighting for their citizens lives you know, I... people in the U.S. are not. Go ahead. They're not civically educated. They're not scientifically educated. They're not literate in this stuff, Andrew. And what's more, 
people want their creature comforts. Yeah. And the uh, the notion, this idea that like, oh, your grandparents are willing to die for the economy. That that is born out of that weird that weird individualistic self-sacrificial like bullshit notion like the it's it's you know what it is it's bruce willis at the end of armageddon i understand okay you're mad who who wouldn't be mad but he's gonna shoot you no no he's not that's who we're picturing that's who they're picturing when they're thinking about the elders sacrificing themselves because at the end of armageddon Ben Affleck draws the short straw. It's supposed to be Ben Affleck who stays behind and sacrifices himself. And Bruce Willis goes down with him, sets everything up, cuts his air supply off, shoves him in, and tells him to take care of his daughter. Yeah. And he's going he's gonna to sacrifice himself. And everyone thinks it's that picture. But that's because we pretend that an economy and a lifestyle are the same as life in general. Well, even beyond that... we don't that, know how to pause it. Go ahead. Even beyond that, depending on whether or not your grandparents voted for Reagan or not, they might be willing to die for the economy. But I, <laughs> I, I would argue that that's A, not their call for your grandparents to make, and B, uh, if you make the argument it is their call, a pretty fucking stupid call. Like... I just, I can't square the notion of voluntary or not the idea of, okay, people need to die when they couldn't so that we can save this arbitrary financial policy. And I don't know, man, maybe we've made it pretty clear what my thoughts on socialism are. (laughs) Both of ours. Um, Maybe it's the socialist in me. Maybe I've seen The Walking Dead and, and Jericho too many times and I can like kind of settle in my head what a post-apocalyptic society looks like. But I just, I don't think this stupid thing is worth more people dying just so that we can go get a pizza on the beach and then get a haircut and then go to the movie theater together again. Yeah, and that's why you and I are going to keep quarreling, uh, and even as things open up, we're going we're gonna to let some motherfuckers go out there and do the shit first before we actually go out. Yeah. Like, it's... And anyone listening, I encourage you, believe it or not, quarantining itself like there are safe things to do there are you don't necessarily have to spend all of your time inside there are safe ways to move about hopefully you've been safely going to get your groceries you can maintain your social distancing andy and i have both you you and i have both been going into an office i've been going into an office that has people in it but I'm careful around the people. I'm careful when I go out 
my wife and I go out and take walks around our apartment complex. We're not trapped inside, but we are not socializing in the way that we did before. We are not... We're not doing a lot of things the way that we did before. That's a sacrifice that we're making. We can continue to make that sacrifice to some extent now with the economy opening up. No lie. Let's be frank. A big reason for this opening is to kick people off of unemployment rolls. Because if your businesses are opening back up and people say, come back to work, and the employees say, I don't want to come back to work. I want to stay quarantining for my safety. They can then go, okay, so you quit. No more unemployment for you. We both live in right-to-work states. That's just the way that it is. Right. Yeah, and that's a good point that, you know, I, I saw some article about, like, uh, uh, an entire restaurant's worth of workers where, where that was going to be the case for them. And, and somebody brought up that exact point, and then I... I, I didn't quite latch onto it. So I, I thank you for bringing that up. You know, as always, there is some like evil uh, government white man who figured out that we can do this thing and it'll shave off on our net margins for Q3. And this isn't one that I'm going to have an answer for. It, as we were talking, I, I kind of, almost built up an answer for it. I think really my answer for it is, is we need to have a universal basic income and we need to, as much as it sucks, trust me, don't get me wrong. I'm, I got COVID crazy depression too, but like as much as it sucks, it's not worth my grandma dying. Um, we need to get a universal basic income and we all need to lock ourselves in our houses for another like month, month and a half. And then maybe this fucking thing dies out and, and we can reassess from there, but it's not, it's not worth the economy. You know, at, at time of recording two days ago, Jeff Bezos became the world's first official trillionaire because no, 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 no. He's on his way to be the first trillionaire by 2026. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't actually read that article. Thank you for stopping for catching me. <laughs> yes, yes. He's on his way to be. He's projected as such. Y'all, Amazon stocks went from being like twelve hundred a share to two thousand a share. There is so much profit being made off of the quarantine right now. Yeah. These people are pandemic profiteers and i can't decide if that's worse than a war profiteer yet i don't actually know war profiteers are war criminals what's a pandemic profiteer i really want to know <sighs> shit dude i i have no idea <laughs> oh man <sighs> No, I think a war I'm, a war profiteer is probably more evil because you're you're uh, saying yes I will I will make your tanks I will make the literal objects of death, um, but a pandemic profiteer is probably more like slimy and and shady and and backstabbing. Alex, you, who is work? You remember the movie 2012? 
Oh, God. I mean, I didn't watch it, but I remember the previews okay. and the reviews. There's, there's a scene in 2012 where the president of the United States closes, like, this hatch bay door for this naval aircraft carrier-sized arc thing on his mother because she is part of the throng of people that is unable to, like... Like, they, they ran out of seats, and so the president leaves his own mother to die in the apocalypse, and it's this whole big statement of, like, oh, man, what an edgy, hard, moral decision. What an amazing movie. 2012, that movie sucks. Um, I, I can't help but compare it to this as, like, well, literally, um, Jeff Bezos is, is saying, and... Our president is saying, hey, guys, keep your mom out of the ark so that we can all survive. Well, meanwhile, you you just know damn well that every member of both of those families gets like daily testing and and the most beneficial health procedures available. So. <sighs> bile and rage yeah i've lost a friend to covid and he was an older dude yeah he was he was in his late 60s early 70s he had health issues already uh and he got it and was in the hospital for a minute and he passed away and when i think about all of this when I think about the notion of sacrificing people, of not taking these things seriously, I, I've said more than once on this show that I don't want to be cynical. Cynics have no hope. I'm a pessimist. Pessimists think things will probably not go wrong, but they at least leave room for the hope that maybe things will go okay. There are people who talk about this pandemic and say, we're going to come out of this in a new world and a new type of world. I don't necessarily know that I immediately disagree with that, but I don't think we're coming out of this in your Star Trek utopia, my friend. No, I don't no. think we're coming out of this. I don't think we're coming out of this in a more equitable society. I don't think we're coming out of this in a society that values people more. At the very best, I think I think honestly the best that we have is we might come out of this with people who with with a young voting block, a young economic block that recognizes how horribly this has been handled by those in power. And maybe, just maybe, they will do a little bit better. I think that's honestly the best we can hope for. And you know what? At this point, I'll fucking take it. Yeah, I was about to say, no, like, like dead ass. that was more hopeful and optimistic than anything I've been able to think about in relation to this topic. So good on you, my friend. <laughs> It's a sad, sad day when I'm more optimistic than you I know are. It is. 
Uh, well, we have a nice light question. Should we get to that? Absolutely. Okay. Um, you know, I read the intro, so do you want to read the question? Sure. So this one comes from us from relationships.txt. But like Alex mentioned, if you have a question, we're, we're ready and eager to give you our unqualified advice. This is a 29-year-old's boyfriend writing a breakup song, and it's terrible. My boyfriend has been using this free time to write what he hopes will be a viral song that propels him to stardom. The issue is that he's played me the demo and it's just awful. He is an amazing writer and I've heard some songs he's written in the past that sound really good. However, this time he's so dead set on writing something that's outside the box that he's essentially written the song version of a compilation video. There's an operatic harmony, a grungy punk rock bit, even a bit of sax makes its way in at one point. He doesn't play the sax, he just has it on his keyboard. It's all over the place. I have gently told him that the song does not tonally make sense. Of course, I've avoided outright saying that it's bad. And I've also tried to tell him what parts I don't think work and which parts do. He will either tell me that I just don't understand music or get really bummed out and stop working. He also wants me to help him make his music video, and while I'd like to experience filmmaking, some of his ideas are just as incomprehensible as the song. What can I do? Uh, and so, in short, my boyfriend made a really bad song. I can only give so much constructive criticism before I start to look like an unsupportive girlfriend. He also wants me to make him a music video which has unfeasible ideas. And so, with, with, as with everybody, we need to give this anonymous person a name. Okay. Um, do you have any ideas? Nothing comes to mind immediately for me. I, I, I kind of have a bunch. Like, part of me is like, oh, we just did it always sunny drop. So I can't say that the boyfriend is Charlie writing Dayman and that our, our reader oh, is no. Dennis. Although that's one oh, option. No. The other thing, and, and I just kind of, this, this makes me laugh, is June Cash. Oh, no. <laughs> Wife of Johnny Cash. <laughs> oh, June Carter Cash. Oh, my God. I'm trying to think of, like, what insane artists, like, pushed their their wives or their wives or, or partners away. Um, I mean, a lot of them, in fairness. A lot of them, right? <laughs> a lot of them. But, like, I do kind of like the idea of, like... The only problem I have with June Carter Cash is that she was an actual person who I respected uh, instead well, of a fictional character. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I respect the, the girlfriend writing this who would be the June. We're, we're more bashing Johnny Cash by by sort of suggesting that he had some crazy ideas. I mean, in fairness, he did have some crazy ideas, but uh, OK, I, I can run with June and Johnny. Hell yeah. Folks, what do you say if we get June Carter out here again? Maybe she'll uh, sing with me. All right. So um, we have the wonderful June Carter Cash, and we have her um, idiot boyfriend, Johnny Cash. Whew. Uh, should I start or should you, Andrew? <laughs> I, I read, so you go ahead. Okay. Um... I'm going to be up. I, I, I'm going to tell you something, June. Uh, you know, I'm a writer and I'm married to a writer. As writers, 
we kind of have a standing rule that we don't usually read each other's shit. Um, I mentioned on a previous podcast that I, you know, back in April, I did Napo Remo. Uh, Stephanie also did Napo Remo. We both wrote 30 poems. Uh, you know, there were a few in there that we did read to each other. With all the caveats, you know, this is a first draft, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, we shared them with each other because that's something that we think would be nice. But we are by no means each other's main editors. I have I have other people I send my stuff to when I need reviews. She has other people that she has a whole writer's group of people who read their stuff. Like, we don't play editor for each other because we... Because if we do that, if that's our dynamic, then it can be really hard to to give criticism in a good way. Uh, sometimes that can manifest, and now I'm speaking more globally, not just my marriage, but like sometimes that can manifest with, I don't want to give my partner honest criticism because it's harsh and it'll be bad for our relationship. Sometimes it's, I'm going to give honest criticism and it's harsh and it is bad for our relationship. I tend to fall in the latter category. Um, Not that my wife is a bad writer. She's actually significantly better than I am, but that's besides the point. Um, In your particular case, June, I think that it, I think it might be good for you to slay a boundary where you don't have your boyfriend come to you for notes he can sink or swim on this one. But if he asks for your opinion, I think you should give it earnestly. I think you should be honest. And if he dismisses you as you don't understand music, he's not very smart and probably not very good at what he's doing. Because from the sound of it, He's trying to do grungy queen, and he's bad at it. And there's only one queen, and there was only one grunge movement. And not everyone can be Dave Grohl, who does a great cover of Tie Your Mother Down. Although, admittedly, not very queen-like. So, I think that, honestly, if he gets bummed out and stops working... That's his problem. He needs to get over that. If he's going to be a creative, he needs to get over that. And if he dismisses you as not understanding music, he's not entitled to your opinion. So you can flat out tell him, look, for the good of our relationship, I'm not going to comment on your songs anymore. Sorry. Because these are your reactions. You tell me I don't understand when I tell you my honest opinion, or you get bummed out and stopped working. So I'm out, homie. That's my advice there. That said, I do kind of think that you should try and make the music video because, like, and and just put it on him to solve his logistical problems. Just be like, okay, you want that, even though it's completely unfeasible. Uh, tell me how you want to do that. Because then you get the fun of filmmaking experiences and he's got to think through his dumbass problems. But that might just be the spiteful part of me. Andrew? <laughs> <sighs> Hi, June. Um, just going to throw it out there. Hurt is the greatest cover of all time. 
in my uh, opinion. I might have some notes on that. I do love it, but... <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I think there are some things you can do that are a little bit more diplomatic than what Alex is suggesting, though I'm not going to totally rule that out. Um, you know, we, we mentioned on this show with one of our COVID hates, the idea that the creative process... Like, like sitting down and saying, okay, it's the quarantine. I'm not going to let anything hold me back. I'm going to finish my novel. I'm going to write my screenplay. I'm going to create my breakout song. Is holding a lot of expectation to oneself. And at the same time, I'm, I'm seeing from writers on Twitter and creatives on Twitter, like, it's okay to sit down and be like, yo, I'm scared and depressed about the state of the world. My creative output is garbage right now. I bring this Mm -hmm. up to give you a bullet in your gun to be able to say, listen, I know you want to make this song. I'm having some problems with it. And I think you need to be honest with yourself that it is at least possible that because of the state of the world, your creative process might be a little wonky right now. Um, If you want to really throw him on the deep end, I would say have him submit his drafts to any other music professional, any other musical people that, you know, the guy seems like he is at least in the scene enough that he is able to like create a song. So I'm sure there has to be some other person whose opinion he highly respects, not that he doesn't respect yours and he should respect yours, but some third party that can be brought in to be like, yo, no, this is straight up garbage in my ear holes. Um, and to be able to do that, as far as the music video, that that tickles me because that's, you know, my world and that's something I can actually do. And I really like Alex's suggestion of like, OK, interesting. So so you want a you, you, the shot here, you're saying that um, you're floating in space in a house and the camera goes through the house and we see you walk me through how, how you think we're actually going to do that or, you know, whatever the logistical difficulties may be. Um, and it's certainly easy and you owe it to yourself to be like, no, listen, until you give me answers, I am not going to make, help you make this music video, no matter how much fun it might be to mess around. Um, Part of this is on Johnny who needs to get it through his head that most creative endeavors are collaborative and he, he really shouldn't be sitting here saying that, Oh, well you just don't get music. That's, that's really shitty. And I I don't agree with that, but you know, those are, those are at least the first couple of things that I think of that you could do to kind of gently get him to, understand that this isn't um this isn't bohemian rhapsody and it's never going to be and it's okay for it never going to be if you're willing to like go back to the drawing board and maybe you get a day at the races instead of a night at the opera i mean yeah and i love the idea that he's trying to do this just to go viral because it's not that people don't 
stage viral videos. It's not that that hasn't happened. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel famously made that happen. Like, as far as having a viral song, I'm sitting here going like, I don't know how much that has to do with the song itself, you know? True. Like, yeah. I, we've talked, we've alluded to this. Andy has addicted me to TikTok. Some of the songs that are on TikTok that I just hear a hundred times because I go on TikTok and they keep playing and playing and playing and playing and playing. The ones that aren't like old memeable songs, like Welcome to the Black Parade, um, which is there a lot. I uh, Emo kids. Um, the ones that become viral frankly uh, there's no rhyme or reason to it there's no logic to it why is megan the stallions savage the big tiktok dance song why it's not her best song it's not even her catchiest song it's a good song there are so many better so many much better megan the stallion songs why is it that one eh. yeah I guess you could come up with a dance to it, but you can come up with a dance to so many songs and so many other songs. There's so much more that goes into it than being operatic and grungy and have a sax. And eh. I've been thinking about Nicki Minaj a lot because I, I, I feel like that's more what Johnny is going for right now is like, no, this is I'm, I'm going to make this song. It'll be totally indie. It'll be totally like self-produced and and someone is going to hear it and turn around and say oh my god you're a star you're a diamond in the rough let me give you a um a record contract and and, and i say i think about Nicki minaj because that's kind of how she got started as just like an underground rapper in New York before getting discovered and, and becoming Nicki Minaj. I've also probably been thinking about her because the song Roman holiday is one of those TikTok songs that just for no reason is, is completely viral right now because she makes some weird sounds during them. Um, and, and you bring up a really good point that I want to highlight you, your boyfriend is not going to just be able to write some magnum opus that somebody somehow hears and goes, find me this kid. I need him now. I need him to be making me songs on the reg. I will give him a million dollars. And I'm all about pursuing your dreams, but there needs to be a level of realism here. And to go viral takes a lot more than just, Oh, I'm going to make the song that is a hit. Yeah. And so maybe when Carly Rae Jepsen yeah. made it with call me maybe because Justin Bieber found the song and liked it. Yeah. Now call me maybe is objectively a jam. <laughs> Would that have happened? Had Justin Bieber not been like, yo, this song is dope. There might be a world in which Justin Bieber did not like tweet about that video, tweet about that song, and Carly Rae Jepsen is still just like an okay singer in Canada, and nobody knows who the hell she is outside of there. That 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 timeline exists. 
and that timeline's okay. You know, the the, the final word I'm going to give on it is like in the same, you know, two minute segment as me saying, follow your dreams. It's okay to make this song that like you like and nobody else does. And it becomes like just something that you enjoy for yourself. And then you go writing the next song and who the heck knows, maybe that is the big hit. But in any case, June, I, I think we've given you a lot of avenues to explore, and, and we'll be posting this in the relationship.txt thread, so it is possible at least that June uh, hears these words, and I hope so. If you Maybe. have a relationship... Make the video, make the video, make the video, make the video, make the video. <laughs> I want you to make this video so badly. Make the video, but do not for a second let your boyfriend make making the video your responsibility as somebody in the filmmaking industry that sounds fucking awful (laughs) straight up anyway uh that's been love hate relationship if you want to give a question about a boyfriend a collaborative partner or just about anything you can make a relationship about you can send that in to love hate relationship podcast at gmail.com for our perfectly unqualified advice and we promise we'll read them that's right you can subscribe to us on apple podcast google podcast stitcher spotify youtube or even tune in radio Hey, Mom. Uh, we would also love it, absolutely adore it, be so overjoyed if you would review us on any uh, or maybe all of those. Uh, and you can tweet us at LHRPod. That's L-H-R-P-O-D with your questions and follow us to keep up with new episodes. That's right. You can find my other podcast, Cult Fiction, on all of the above platforms that Alex mentioned, where, you know, I watch cult movies and then uh, talk about them with the incomparable Stephanie Johnson. You can also find me, Andy Bowell, on Twitter at JoVoCop2113. And I'm at A underscore X underscore on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, Thanks for listening, y'all. As always, please tell your enemies.